to provide guidance to mankind. وقد بدأ قتال في العاصمة يوم أمس بعد أن أعلن No vision can grasp Welcome to a radical discussion of independence, free will, liberty, and the left-hand path. This is Damonosophy 2.0 with your host, Paul Frick. Soon, Flambeau Noir Left Hand Path Conference in Portland, Oregon, weekend of April 27th through the 29th. That is right on the cusp of one of our favorite days of the year, Valpurgis Nacht, the same day that good old Anton LaVey shaved his head and decided to declare it the year one. Good time to have something like this going on. You will see. People like Venus Satanus, a spiritual Satanist. You'll see Peter Gray, iconic occult author and co-founder of Scarlet Imprint. Michael Ford, Luciferian magic adept and author. And Mona Magic, one of my favorite ladies out there. Medium, seer, and worker of magic. Can't wait to see her again. And you're going to see Jeremy Crow, founder of the... Assembly of Light Bearers and the Ziggurat of Enki, and Flambeau Noir itself, and a bunch of other really cool speakers. There's going to be music, Orchestus Dimic, Sabbatic Dance, Horse Cult, Psychedelic, Folkish, Dark, Medicine Moon, Dark Folk, Neo Folk, and Pleasure the Priestess, with my buddy Jeremy Crow in it doing Dark Synth Wave, my kind of thing. You know... I like stuff with beats. If you listen to the show, you know, I have a preference for music with beats. The noise stuff is cool. I'm down with that. You know, I can get some crazy head vibes going on, but I like stuff with beats. So I like that pleasure of the priestess and that dark synth wave groove. And there's also real entropy, experimental noise, spoken word. There's DJs, Deacon and host Corey from KFFP Freeform Portland Radio and Matt priestess so what more could you ask for you've got left hand path black magical entrepreneurs speaking making music creating the moment for everyone to share in isn't that wonderful and nice and they're going to be hanging out at one of america's most renowned occult themed bars lovecrafts so if you watch the media, you know Lovecraft has gotten a lot of attention in the media from social justice warriors, Portlandia SJWs who have some problems with Lovecraft, I guess. But uh, honestly, just the fact that this place is, is on a uh, SJW hit list makes me want to go there more. Can't wait. Can't wait to be there. And of course, you'll see me, Paul Frederick. MT of the TS and GM of the EOB, author of Damonosophy and Arabeth Transmissions, and host of this here podcast y'all be listening to right now. And I will have with me 
the second edition of the Black Flame Tarot. That's right, the first edition is all gone. My friends, if you didn't move, you missed out on the first edition. So we're running a second edition. Some nice little Easter eggs for y'all. And um, that's all I'll say about that for now. But I'll have copies of it with me there in Portlandia uh, the weekend of April 27th through the 29th. And I'm also going to have with me a big, big new hardbound volume four of the Serious Workings, which is due out by the end of February, but I'll have copies of it there with me. And it's bigger and better. Y'all, if you got, uh, you know, volumes one through three of this, you're going to be blown away. It's a big hardbound black looking grimoire-ish kind of occult book um and of course serious workings volume four is a record of the workings of the esoteric order of Beals above from the years 2013 to 2016 it includes essays logs rites of the order divided into four main sections serious 11 transmissions from the prince of darkness serious 12 the Adopt a Star program. That's where we started uh, a new paradigm of space migration in earnest. And Series 13, Inferno of Liberty. And finally, Series 13, Terraformation. And it features an exclusive interview with the Temple of Set founder, Michael A. Aquino. A little history about that. So, y'all might remember episode, ah, maybe three of this podcast featured an interview with Michael Aquino. And not everyone knows that that was actually the second interview I recorded with him. The first one that we did didn't come out, had some technical difficulties. You know, it was one of the first, um, you know, online interviews that I did for the podcast, so I was, you know, I learned some valuable technical lessons from it, but the recording from it was not usable, so uh, Dr. Aquino very graciously was down with doing a second one, so we did a second one, and that's the one that you hear on the podcast, but the first one, uh, I took it and I got it transcribed uh, into a text, and so this is what appears in Serious Workings, Volume 4. And it's not the same interview. I mean, there's a little bit more uh, back and forth. We delve down a little bit deeper into some of the uh, socio-political issues, which, I mean, if you know Dr. Aquino at all, you know he has a lot of ideas about these things. He's originally a political scientist, so um, everything that he's developed on the metaphysical side of things, well... You can trace back some of these ideas to um, his experiences in the socio-political realm and the U.S. military and things like that. So this book is worth it um, just for that interview, if you ask me, and the fact that it comes in a big black grimoire package, which is awesome. So those are some things going on, my friends. Look out for that. There's a lot of stuff going on, and if you're into this um, this uh, Flambeau Noir conference in Portlandia. Go on Facebook. There's a Facebook group for it. Just search Flambeau Noir. 
and get your tickets for it because there's only 105 tickets. This is an exclusive event. It's going to be pretty intense, you know, like almost half the people there are, um, are, are entrepreneurs and, and, and presenters and, and, and people that are involved in the creation aspect of it. So um, if you want to go to this, don't wait to the last minute because the 105 tickets aren't going to last forever. Um, and it's going to be a very unique event. So to continue with that vibe, my guest today is Miss Season Cole. And Season is herself a proud Portlandier, a musician and performance artist and part of the team that's bringing you this next uh, flambeau noir out there. So she agreed to have a conversation here and we talk about the gathering. She gives lots of uh, inf- good information on what um, y'all might expect there. Um, and it all sounds like it's going to be super intense. And we also get into some uh, philosophy and some reflections and we had a great conversation. So um, without further ado, and you know, I am trying to find something better to say other than uh, without further ado, Every time I say it, it it kind of bothers me a little bit. Um, So anyhow, the search continues for that. But in any case, without any further uh, blah, 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 here is Season Call. All right. And we're live. All right. Hey, Season Call. Yes. What's up? Um, the sky currently, which is gray in Portland, but. <laughs> oh, that's pretty cool. So is it super cold in Portland? Was it super cold it's, like the last week or whatever? You know, it seems it's actually kind of been warming up a bit and comparatively to how it was last year, like we were having a blizzard at this time and like snowed in. So, um, oh. much improved. Yeah. And it's been in like the fifties, which I don't know, I, I feel is relatively warm for Portland in the winter. So. I've, I've adapted to colder weather and have learned to become a little more resilient, I guess. So anything above freezing feels warm now. <laughs> right on. So you guys are catching a break basically this year. Yeah, man. Yeah. It's, they're, they're going easy on us, the, the weather gods, apparently. <laughs> That's cool. Or maybe it's like a mercury and retrograde thing. You know, in um, Houston, I'm in Houston, and it's been unnaturally cold here. Like we had ice like frozen roads for a few days they shut down the schools it's like total chaos when that happens here because no one's prepared for it like they don't they don't salt the roads they don't know what that means and so society just totally shuts down and everyone stays indoors it's kind of kind of terrifying and apocalyptic yeah yeah that's how it usually is here in portland even with lesser amounts of snow and that's how it was last year like in the extreme the worst that i've seen it since i've lived here it sounds almost like there's some inverse experience going on like maybe houston is borrowing our bad weather for the winter i don't know (laughs) that could be i guess maybe the weather is like a zero-sum game if it gets better for you guys it gets stuck here for us and vice versa so that's fine yeah yeah they're like making bids and deals you know, yeah. um, to us, like, we don't know what's going on between the cities here. Um, I'm sure yeah. they have their, their own, you know, debacles uh, behind the scenes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so there's always, like, there's always, like, city corruption behind it all. 
So. <laughs> yeah, but really, like, Houston and Portland, like, made a deal or, like, somebody lost a bet or something. I don't know. <laughs> or maybe they're just like, passing, it, uh, passing it around. They're like, here, you have some snow and ice and chaos for the winter. I've had enough the past couple of years. <laughs> right. Right on. Well, we're talking a lot about the weather. I guess we should talk about uh, black magic and the occult and uh, flambeau noir. Yeah, yeah, that sounds juicy. So you're doing, you're involved with doing this flambeau noir, the international left hand path conference in Portland, Oregon, this year, the weekend of April 27th and 29th. Is that correct? That is. That's awesome. Tell me about it. What's going to happen? <laughs> um, all the awesome stuff. Um, it's it's been a pretty wild journey, even you know getting it kicked off and going. Um, I mean, I I went to Flambeau Noir last year in Ottawa, and that was my first one, and it was incredible. I was you know rapidly inspired and uh, really appreciated the the energy and the juju that was going around, and had no idea what I was walking into. Didn't know anyone there. I knew Jeremy, you know, on Facebook. That was the only contact we'd had. I'd never met him face to face or heard his voice. And um, it was incredible. And even getting there was this wild like experience that I felt almost as some sort of strange initiation into the underworld. And, um, and I was already kind of decoding this on, on my um, journey out there. And then the more the story unraveled, uh, the, the more intriguing it got. And I was like, this has to happen in Portland next year. And, um, you know, Jeremy was on it, and uh, we've been making the plans, you know, like, we were kind of going at a more relaxed pace for a little while, uh-huh. and then, um, you know, in the summer, I, like, we had some ideas about what the venue would be, and then I have a friend here that owns a bar, the Lovecraft Bar, which is like a horror theme bar, and he basically volunteered the whole place for free for us to use. Uh, oh, wow. Which, yeah, yeah, we're like, okay, awesome, great idea. Um, you know, that's like the largest cost for putting on a, an event. And, you know, if we can pass that along to people buying tickets, we could sell out, it would be rad. Um, but the the bar has a smaller capacity, and so, like, the, the event started, like, outgrowing it. <laughs> um, uh-huh. And basically, the amount of people that we're having for presenters and their guests would be a larger majority of, like, the capacity, the holding capacity that that venue had for, you know, people being seated. There are all these, like, strange details and complications that, like, getting into the nitty-gritty was, you know, showing um, we, we, needed, we needed to find another place, which then became another adventure. And um, along the way, though, I was just kind of reaching out uh, intuitively to certain people who I don't even know, like Stephen Leba Johnson. And um, I didn't even know how deeply into all of this stuff he was. And I've come to understand now that we've been in communication and he's been sharing a lot of his work with me. And um, I've been getting to know him a little bit better uh, as a person and artist. And um, we, we share a similar lineage um, in, you know, the uh, Apache. Um, he's part Apache and so am I. And so that's kind of like what drew me to him initially uh-huh. is that he's part of the left-hand path. And um, he's like an Apache Satanist. And I was like, I've never seen, you know, like there aren't very many, um, I guess, I don't know, like counterculture Apaches out there, like waving a left-hand flag and, you know, uh, very visibly into magic. And, um, so I just kind of like sent him a message and then he replied immediately. He's like, I'd love to be a part of it. And then um, 
the weirdest thing moving forward since, you know, he agreed to be a part of the event is that I asked based on the limited knowledge I had of him at the time for him to be a part of the event. And um, I mean, but it makes perfect sense now. And so that's kind of been like a pattern <laughs> moving forward mm -hmm. with a, a number of aspects of the event. It's just kind of like, oh, you know, uh, Jeremy and I would kind of um, be exchanging ideas about, you know, who we should ask and how things should move forward. And then um, we're just kind of like, yeah, go with that. And um, there's, there's a lot of foresight into certain aspects of the event, and then others were just kind of like, okay, what will work? Uh, what comes first to our mind? And then just rolling with that. And then that kind of leading, um, you know, the, the, the trail and track of the event onto like another trajectory that, that unfolds into this other sort of perfect arrangement that, you know, hadn't really, like we hadn't been able to preconceive before that. And so I've been amazed um, just, you know, who's involved now and how, how that's come together. It's sort of like this series of perfect events by default. <laughs> um, uh -huh. Yeah, and, and so we've actually, um, I realized, you know, we planned the date. We were kind of like, oh, when would be a good time? And, and we discussed the planetary alignments and into astrology and Jeremy isn't so much, but he appreciates moon cycles. So, um, you know, we could agree that, uh, the Scorpio full moon was kind of a big deal, and it was the same weekend, um, you know, to date as it was uh, last year in Ottawa. So it's the last weekend of April. And then I was like, uh, doing the numerology for that weekend, and I was like, okay, it's going to be this this number, you know, this major arcana uh, that corresponds with the tarot. And uh, we we felt that it was going to be like a really potent uh, weekend to to have this type of event, and then also it being well purchased and um, just like a lot of, um, yeah, like a lot of magic going on at that time. So then I realized, um, like some other things started popping up that were unexpected in terms of just like, um, more, uh, I, I guess you could say very kind of scorpionic <laughs> issues. And, um, and I was looking at that and I was like, okay, Scorpio's full moon, like, you know, the darkness exposed, like the fullness of all of, you know, all things Scorpio, and um, I was like, we better, we better have like an intention for this. Like, like we just have all of this, um, you know, like motivation going into the event, and uh, a lot of this magic and energy, and then we're not containing it and kind of helping to steer and direct it. And I, with some of like my background in in craft, you know, I've I've never done a, a magical event of any kind without having like a statement of intent. And so mm -hmm. I guess this was kind of new for Jeremy, but I, I posed the idea and he was into it. And at first he was like, how about breaking chains? And I was like, um, that could actually end up somewhat disastrously. <laughs> um, yeah. I'm just imagining chains literally breaking, people falling, cars, you know, rolling off yeah. the road. I was like, maybe, maybe we should contain it a little more. <laughs> and I was, you know, going over a lot of this, of like the full moon and Scorpio. And so we were kind of going back and forth about the file and then um, Matt, um, Jeremy's friend Matt Priestess are also in the band Pleasure the Priestess together has also at this point become a part of the event and was helping because we decided we wanted to do like a musical extension of it and so he's more of like the musical director and helping to oversee and um, you know just take care of a lot of those um, details and so we were we were sort of brainstorming and going over ideas and then Matt came up with this like darkness 
audible thing for that event that's inspired by Darkness Visible that comes from like this, you know, third degree Masonic uh, initiation uh, ritual of sorts. There's like a, a term in there that refers to darkness being visible. And then it's also from Lost Paradise. Um, and then, so Jeremy thought it would be a good, good idea to just say, oh, you know, darkness visible as the intention. And then I looked it up, like I just did a Google search and it, it came up with all this stuff about madness and insanity. And I was like, maybe we should modify that. How about darkness indivisible? <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and more so of being like, um, well, and, and Jeremy loved this idea because immediately what he, he got of it was, you know, the community aspect of, you know, the left-hand path. And he's like, that's part of my total intention for this event in general is creating more of a network and a community among left-hand pathers, which might seem a little oxymoronic, but, um, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, <laughs> right. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm on board with that intention. And so that's, that's what he got out of it, which was, part of what what I was intending with darkness and divisible, but also on the individual level and and realizing like a certain series of events that were coming up were sort of like these subconscious things emerging from people and other things that had been sort of under wraps um, that were coming to light and, you know, just weird issues we were having to deal with on like personal levels with different either presenters or, you know, among ourselves. Um, and other people that are involved in the production. And so it's kind of like being able to allow that to surface and for that to be okay and for that to sort of be like a a unity within oneself, you know, uh, a marriage or an acceptance and an embracing of their darkness and kind of um, the ability when, when you get at that point when you can see that and be okay with it, you know, and give it a job. Um, and, you know, Absolutely. to keep unified and- though. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it, and it doesn't surprise me, you know, when you said that, like, you know, most of the people or a large amount of the people that are going to be there are, are presenters or have an active role in it. That's not surprising because yeah. to me, that's, that's the nature of the left-hand path. That's the nature of black magic um, is, is full of, of uh, the entrepreneurial spirit. It's full as it, it attracts people who, who want to be involved, who want to have a co-creational um, role in the work that's taking place, right? It doesn't attract, I mean, the kind of, the kind of stuff that you're working with here doesn't attract lots of, uh, you know, passive followers that want to just sit back and be told what to do and everything like that, you know? So it's not surprising that you have um, people actively involved in, in, in participating in, in making it, in making it all happen. And it's really, a lot of what you're saying, to me, it sounds like it's like the nature of uh, black magic itself, the nature of the magical operation itself is. A large part of it is you're trying to do something specifically. You're applying your will you know, to the universe, create change. But at the same time, you're making yourself open to what occurs as a result of that so that there's still this element of mystery because it's the element of mystery uh, that emerges from the action which is the actually really beneficial, you know, educational enlightening thing from it. You know, it's one of the great mysteries is that the mystery, the mystery itself is what is the thing that charges you, you know, it's like the myth of the Holy, the Holy grail mystery and and all of that kind of stuff. So, um, so that sounds like really exciting. I mean, you've got, um, uh, the other thing that's really interesting to me is that you've got all these speakers, the philosophy, 
magic and all that stuff. And you've got all this music going on at the same time. And this yeah. is something I mentioned to uh, Crow when, when I had Crow on the show a little while back, we were talking about this, that it seems like most of the great left-hand path magicians these days are also left-hand path musicians. <laughs> I wonder why that is. I mean, I wonder why that is, you know, do you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, I have some theories. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, I, so, um, this was actually a quote by Helene from last year's event that has stuck with me and I found truly inspiring. And she said that some of the best ways that the black flame is expressed is art in its many forms. And, um, yeah, but like art would, is an expression of the black flame and is an exploration of it and is a, a revealing of it. And um, somebody I think that like, so an artist is, is a creator and, um, you know, somebody on the left-hand path is taking more uh, ownership of their own experience. And, you know, essentially, um, and, you know, the more Luciferian ideology I can speak for is that, you know, you, you are declaring yourself as, um, you know, a god or your own god. Um, and, you know, like being a, an artist and a god, a creator, there, there seems to be a lot of symmetry in, in that for me. Um, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that explains it for you, but Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I think that's all like 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 totally valid. I mean the um the the, the concept of, of, of assuming the role of, of of God or or a God. I mean that's the ultimate creator, right? The original version of God is like, you know, the you know the old man sitting around like, you know, at a potting machine and he's making a pot and it's like, well that like represents the universe. So you know, to me, the left-hand path in black magic, it represents people taking, um, taking uh, like, like you said, ownership. They're taking responsibility yeah. for their existence and for their creation and, and all of those things as one big package. And so it's amazing that, you're, you know, that these events are going on. And so you said you were at, um, the, the first one you went to was Ottawa? Yeah. Yeah, that was last you, year. And that was la- and that was last year. And there's been a couple mm-hmm. before that, right? There was one in Atlanta before that. Um, yeah. And then, you know, like, how many has there been? You know, okay. So official, the, there's sort of the schism that occurred, and and it's a little bit confusing. There's like the Left Hand Path Consortium, and then the Left Hand Path Conference. Um, and so, the consortium is kind of, um, I guess, Jeremy and the woman who now oversees the consortium, had done a Flambeau Noir together in um, 2012, I believe. Um, okay. I'm a little unclear on the total history, but I know there have been um, officially left-hand, international left-hand path conferences. I think this will be the fourth. And then the, the consortium, um, I think there have been two maybe or three. Um, so there have been a couple of each, and they were kind of switching off in the years. Uh, for the past couple years, and then now they're both actually happening this year, and the consortium is going to be happening in July in, I believe, um, I don't know what city, somewhere, somewhere, somewhere in that region, somewhere not far from Atlanta. I, I have to, I don't know, I have to check up on, I haven't been keeping tabs on their event, but I, I know they're both happening this year now, and in okay. the state. Okay. Yeah, so, um, yeah, like, they're, which, you know, we, we were kind of thinking about that. It's cool that, like, the left-hand path has gotten, you know, or even this event and this type, 
the interest in this type of event has gotten large enough to be able to hold two events <laughs> in the same year um, on the same continent. Uh, we're like, that must be a sign of progress. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, so. and so, um, I, I mean, I've been hearing about people talking about it for years. I haven't been to any of these yet. I wanted to go to uh, Ottawa uh, last year, but uh, just, you know, I couldn't fit it in. But, I mean, some of my friends were there. I know Lloyd Keene and... Um, and uh, and uh, uh, Kirby were there, so it's like I've had three people on the show that had been to that gathering, and so now I'm having people on the show. I've got you, who's been, who's going to be at the next gathering. So it's one of the recurring themes of the. It's the, it's part of the Damonosophy demographic, I guess, is what I'm <laughs> what I'm trying to get at here. But so so you so you went to that thing last year. So how did you? And this is something I ask everyone when I have a, on the show. So how did you? Um, find the left-hand path? Um, okay, so I found out that it's something I've always been on, but <laughs> didn't know. Um, and, and then when I understood more, when I started getting more into um, uh, occultism and, um, you know, eso esoterica and magic and um, being able to kind of understand the differences of these um, orientations, um, I would say that the thing that spoke to me, I mean, I've always kind of been, you know, an individualist and, um, you know, on my, on my own path and kind of unstoppable in that regard. Sure. <laughs> um, yeah, but, yeah, so, like, I don't know. I don't know how to say if there was, like, one defining moment. It was sort of this uh, understanding that kept uh, un unfolding and reinforcing itself. The more I uh -huh. learned about it, the more clear I got on it, um, the more I knew that that's definitely something I am, I'm doing, and, and I'm aligned with. Um, and I would, I would say largely, um, well, okay, a, a pivotal moment would be, honestly, and it, I, I love that Venus Satanis is going to be at the event this year because seeing some of her videos, it was about like eight years ago, I think, Online and at the time I was very closed off to Satanism. I didn't understand it and I guess the impression I had was just like that it, it was a bunch of people with bad taste um, and, mm -hmm. um, But like I'd never really seen anyone uh, talk about it uh, intelligently and, and really um, Explain it in a way that made sense to me. I thought it was just like a lot of um, uh, It was just primarily aesthetic and, and spook tactics but I yeah, a lot, you, like a lot of posturing, you know. Yeah, yeah, and it's like, okay, people are, you know, like, I don't know, they have authority issues or they're mad at their parents for making them go to church or something. I don't know. Yeah. Um, and, but then, so, like, I was in the Golden Dawn at the time, and a few friends on one of those uh, forums posted some videos by her, and uh, I don't remember how Satanism got brought up on the thread, but um, I watched the videos, and it was, they were Venus Satanus's videos and I was like, wow. So it's like an attractive, intelligent female that's able to present Satanism in a way that like makes sense. It seems logical. And I have a new respect for it and an understanding of it in a way that I never did before. And um so I started like that day just researching um Satan and Satanism. I didn't I didn't grow up really heavily with, with heavy Christian programming. So I don't know mm -hmm. a lot of the Christian background. Like I'm actually um um, I, I guess, in, in most people's opinion, um, 
it, it would be like refreshingly unfamiliar with all of that. But for me, I'm just like, whoa, that's so much of like the group think for our culture. Mm -hmm. And I don't get it. I don't know what that background is. So I kind of feel like I'm out of like a larger conversation that goes on in, in our society. Like I just don't understand it. Um, and so I was doing research on Lucifer and Satan. And then um, I've been working with entheogens for like 15, 16 years now, very intentionally. Um, and so, you know, I, I would frequently partake in psilocybin and do these like sort of retreats where I'd lock myself up for three days, not talk to anybody and just be on mushrooms the whole time. Um, and I've been doing this for a long time. And so I was doing that that night. <laughs> like I'd already had the plan moving forward and I'd been like absorbing all this information about Satan and Lucifer. And then I had a really profound experience kind of connecting with all of that in, in this way that I never had before that was so powerful. Um, it's like those energies sort of, I had already invoked them like unwittingly by reading about it so much all day and pondering it. And um, yeah, that stuff really showed up for me and I got to know it in a very visceral way. And that, that really transformed um, my, I guess, connection with those archetypes and the understanding of, of those concepts in general. Uh, and I, I got to have like a, a more real relationship with them instead of it just being conceptual. And so after that blockage was removed, because before I would kind of, um, I think maybe shun those ideas or concepts just because I didn't understand them. And so I just stay away from them and I figured, you know, whatever, it's just Christian stuff I don't understand. Um, but, but after that, I, I felt a real connection with all of that. And I guess that I, I could say would be the most pivotal moment where I felt a real connection with um, the archetype and concept of Lucifer, but also something more than that. Like, you know, there was something sentient moving through even the idea that mm -hmm. um, I was exposed to that definitely I've, I've been, um, what would that be? In a way, connected to ever since. And after that, I would freak a lot of people out being like, I love Lucifer. And then, you know, it, that, that would disturb a number of friends that I had. But that, that was something, you know, I would legitimately say after that, that experience that weekend. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I, I guess that would be the moment that I, that I knew for sure, like in that regard. And it was like left-hand path and in the terms that we understand it now. Yeah, totally. I can, I, I can totally relate. And I think a lot of people go through that too. So we, really? the, 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 arch, the thing about the archetype of Satan is that it's so, it's so connected with uh, a Judeo Christianity. You know, it's, 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 it's yeah. the enemy, it's the enemy of uh, Judeo-Christianity. And so it's, it's like Satan's always fighting against that. And so there's always this, this conflict aspect of it. But yeah. there's, this, there's this point at which you move beyond that where you start to see, wait, now there's something else under, underneath that. And, and so a lot, of, a lot of people, we have to go through that, that uh, deprogramming, you know, I mean, people who grew up with like heavy Christianity and stuff like that, or heavy monotheistic backgrounds and upbringing, they got a lot of deprogramming, you know, that they got to go through, a lot of decontrolling to go through in order to free up the mind and be able to see what you really are. But then the thing is, is once you get to that point, you see that there's something, and, and, and like Satanism, that archetype of Satan can be a great tool for like, you know, knocking down all that bullshit, you know, as a very warrior sort of like aspect to it. But you get beyond that, you knock down all of that, that bullshit, and then you're at the point where you say, well, now what? Now what am I going to do? Now what is this? And then maybe you start to see that within that archetype, you know, 
uh, beyond Satan, there's like the, 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 there's, you know, the prince of darkness. There's the principle of isolate intelligence. There's something more Luciferian, like you say. There's something else in there that's kind of like, you know, de- detached from all of these things that is like, you know, um, that, that's an ancient thing. And, and it's a very central thing, and it's somehow connected with your own personal individuality, the, 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 the centrality of your own, you know, sense of awareness. It's somehow connected with that. It's something that's always been there, and it's something that can move beyond. And then you start to turn your attention to all the other ways that you need to decontrol things, all the other ways beyond Judeo-Christian religion that that um, present controlling influences in in our life, you know, that come from society and come from government and come from, you know, culture and, and, and all of these sorts of things. So so it's like it's like a never ending work of returning to that internal essence and also moving outward and, and, and re confronting all the things that are there um, in the in the outside world that we all that we all live in and have to live in, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and even to kind of bring bring it back to like the intention of Darkness Invisible for this year's event, I feel like the more you accept all of, you know, the wayward aspects of yourself and and allow yourself to express um, the things that would be contrary to, I, I guess, um, common acceptance and, you know, like when when you really allow all of, those, those real and raw aspects of yourself to be exposed and, and, you know, to give those space within yourself to, um, you know, to, to rightfully exist. Um, the more, you know, you're becoming a whole being um, and, and really able to accept um, yourself and others and, and like even the world, this experience as like this, you know, strange dynamic occurrence that that has all of that stuff in it and the, and the less you're like resisting I guess the, the lesser acceptable facets or the the uglier or you know in common perception what would be considered uglier um, aspects of your own being um, the more those things empower you as opposed to oppress you and um, in, in a way, you know, they start working for and with you rather than against you and, and also against everything else. Um, but it's, it's really, yeah, like allowing those things to have their place and um, not, not turning away in disgust or like um, being repulsed by them, even in yourself and other people. But, but that really allows for, and, and that's where I feel, you know, a lot of, um, the left-hand path stuff is uh, really useful. It's kind of like, giving um, giving all of these things that are considered maybe sinful and in, in by, you know, another definition, a, a place to have, like, their purpose and their right and, and a place to be explored. And even, how, you know, knowing how to work with those energies instead of just um, casting them out and saying, no, that's just too, you know, this thing or that thing, um, you know. And, and so a lot of those can you know, like, um, even, even pride, right. Or strength and power, like a lot of those things can be misused. And most people are afraid of them because they don't know how to steer that energy. And it's like, well, once you familiarize yourself and actually get in that mire, like that's the only way to really understand what's in there and to be able to, to harness that, uh, usefully. And the less practiced people are in those areas, uh, the more irresponsible they're going to be with them when they do have, 
those instances of being in touch with it. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, one, one approach, I know like, like Anton LaVey really famously said with the, the, seven, the seven deadly sins is that they're all, they're all good things, actually, right? They're all, they're all actually things that, that, that lead to your own, you know, personal moral satisfaction and stuff and, and, and help you be a better person and things like that. And, and so that's one way of treating that whole, like, sins thing. Another way of looking at the sins is that each of these things – you know, all the things, you know, like, you know, lust and, 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 and you know, gluttony and, and, and all of these things, they're all things that you just, every human being biologically experiences these things, you know, several times a day, you know, whether, whether you want to or not, you experience all of those things. It flashes through your mind. You know, there's an, mm-hmm. in, in Christianity, they like to, they, there's the, the question they like to ponder of um, adultery of the mind. Is adultery of the mind that just as bad as real adultery? You know, and the question that, and and the the challenge here is what well, flashed through your mind. So aren't you experiencing it anyhow? You know, I thought of lust, so that's the same as you know I, I committed the sin basically just thinking about it. Well, that's the problem is you're going to think about it. All those things are going to happen to you, you know, 20 times a day. So they're all another way of looking at them is all of those those so-called sins are opportunities for remembering yourself there are mm-hmm. opportunities for for anchoring like you psychologically you establish an anchor for like each of these things so when they come up in your in your experience it's a moment to stop and 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 remember yourself basically have a moment of consciousness from it and there's a lot of other things they call this in um in um neuro-linguistic programming they talk about anchoring anchoring your behaviors mm-hmm. and, and, and anchoring them to, to positive, creating positive habits this way. And so you take these things that you're going to experience every day anyhow, and you anchor them to remembering yourself or remembering something positive or remember something that you needed to do anyhow. But, I mean, to me, ultimately, though, on the left-hand path, as far as, like, a sin goes, the only thing that I could consider actually, like, a sin is, is coercion. And, and to me, that's, that's the thing with all of those seven deadly sins. You know, they're, 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 they're immoral and, they're, and, it's, and it's bad if you're using it on someone else, right? If you're, in fact, if, you're, if you're coercing someone else, you're violating someone else's will, you're pushing someone, you know, forcing, forcing you know, anything on anyone else. To me, that's, that's the only sin. But as long as you're doing anything, you know, for yourself, of yourself, and by yourself, it, it, it cannot be sinful. It can only be more or less productive or beneficial for you based upon your own, you know, judgment of it. Yeah, so I totally, um, I hear what you're saying, but I'm curious because this is a concept I've, I've questioned quite a bit myself. I, I, in my definition of sin, I would say the only sin is really going against yourself, um, Mm-hmm. And that would be more on par with, I think, the original etymology of, of sin, which is like missing the mark. And so it's like you're missing your own mark, like you're not hitting your own bullseye, uh, whatever the purpose of, of this incarnation is. Like, you know, you're way off target and you're doing things that are actually, um, sure. yeah, like, um, just you know, working against yourself. But, I mean, even with that, it's like taking another angle of, of that understanding, like, can you ever really truly work against yourself um, and kind of going into more theories of like the multiverse and, and how you, you know, exist in, in, you know, quantum physics on multiple dimensions, 
multiple dimensions and every variation and form of, of yourself that is possible, that every one of those, even the ones where you're going against yourself, is actually informing your, your greater whole of what yourself is. And so you know more of what you are by knowing what you're not in, in one oh, expression. Yeah. yeah. And so, like, I, I wonder, like, you know, in coercing somebody else, like, how, how um, and even just, like, this, um, this query of, of contracts, can, you, can anyone ever really make you do something you don't want to do? Like, um, and, and I, I happen to believe, I mean, and this is, this is a really large, you know, I guess statement to assert, but it's like, I don't, I don't think anyone can ever actually make you do something you don't want to do. Um, and I think when you're really in touch with what you want and, and yeah, there's a lot of confusion, um, and there are a lot of layers of this, um, concept, but, um, but can anyone ever be forced to do or be something that they're not? And I, I, I really believe when it comes down to it that you can't, and even the things that like, um, happen that seem to be something you don't want are, are useful in, in informing you as like a greater being on another level somewhere. Um, well, okay, so, so what about, part... <laughs> what about, uh, what about like prearranged marriages? Uh-huh. Um, but, okay. Well, yeah, so prearranged marriages, like how, how do you know that like that experience, you know, that like uh, some aspect of yourself needed to have it set up in that, that form, you know, that it's still going to be a useful experience in the way it plays out. And, you know, whatever comes of that, that trajectory in that lifetime is, is going to play in somewhere else as being something very valuable for, you know, your, your self-understanding and your exploration in this life. Um, I agree. Like, I agree that, that you're responsible, that everyone's like responsible for taking whatever that experience is, whatever experience, whatever life throws at you, you're responsible for taking that yourself and doing, you know, doing the best that you can or doing what you need to do in accordance with your will with it. I, I definitely agree with that. Yeah. And, and there, there are things that would factor in on, on so many like, like other layers of this issue would be personal power. And um, so I, you know, I guess I like to take it down to like the mundane to represent these concepts and ideas, but like, um, but you know, the microcosm would reflect the macrocosm, but somebody like in an arm wrestle and it's like, yeah, you might not have the strength to beat somebody in an arm wrestle in that exact or in that, in that exchange as it occurs. Um, uh-huh. Someone might not have the physical strength and, and, you know, get, you know, beat. Um, but um, similarly, you know, with degrees of like personal power and, and this concept of, you know, like we all have uh, our, our own will, our own true will is something I'm just going to be, I guess, presumptuous and assert. <laughs> but like not everyone is as practiced at following through on that. And the more you do, the stronger your personal power gets and the, the, the stronger that, that muscle, that will flexes. And so when in, I guess you could say, a battle of will with somebody else is similar to being in an arm wrestle, that when it comes down to them trying to coerce you, they're not going to be capable of doing that when you really know your own truth. Um, so, and, and yeah, not everyone is in that place of clarity. And, and at different times, you know, in, in your life, you might be in a different place with that. So, you know, there are 
there are variables to this, but um, I still feel that ultimately those experiences, even if it seems like somebody else was forcing their will upon you, um, can be utilized by the person that it happened to as you know, like uh, something that eventually em empowers them as opposed to you know being something that works against them. I, I feel that's also up to the individual is to like transform those experiences where they they felt they were coerced into something that you know uh, becomes sort of like a tool in you know, their, their self-understanding and actually uh, works for them rather than against them. As for the other person who did the coercing, um, yeah, I still question it's like how, how is it that, you know, in a way the person that needed to be coerced to find that power <laughs> for themselves, um, you know, like, uh, you know, it's almost like a contract between the coerced and the coercee. I'm, I'm, I don't know. I know there can be a lot of different expressions of this concept and I'm probably just going out on the far limb of, you know, like it's abstract, but um. <laughs> oh no, it's a huge, it's a huge conversation. It's a huge like question, and and to me, to me, it's just like the whole concept of um, you know true will, like your mm -hmm. this this idea, you know, the the the, the Crowleyan concept of the lima, that this is part of like your human existence, uh, part of like why we're why we're human. We come into the world, you know, every man and woman is a star, and you and you basically have your own true will and part of your understanding of that part of your embracing of that is is the respecting of the other other free wills in the universe so um to me that's part of to me that's part of you know of, of asserting and and and, and remanifesting your own free will is uh, what goes along with that is also learning um you know respect for for other others free will and um when, when you mentioned how um, like not everyone's in that place right now, you know, not everyone is, is, is there at the moment, like where they can, where they can see these things. And, mm -hmm. and, 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 and you hit the nail on the head there. That's the problem is that mm -hmm. you know, I think everyone comes into the world essentially totally free, you know, free will, uh, being, but we forget it. You know, we forget it. We go to sleep. And, you know, pretty much all of the social institutions we have are, are designed for that. They're designed to, mm -hmm. like, lull us, you know, lull us into sleep, uh, make mm -hmm. us not worry about that. Don't think about, you know, don't think about, don't, don't think about yourself, right? Don't even think about your body. It's all evil, you know. It's like the, where the, uh, you know, the doctrine of original sin comes from. You know, you, you come into this world as a sinner. Everything about you is bad. Don't look at that. Don't look at that bad self in there. Look out at us, you know, at the, at the, good, the good people, you know. At the church, we'll tell you what to do. You know, we'll tell you what you what you have to do. So, so they basically, I mean, we come into the world basically. You know, we go through the system, and we reach you know a certain age. You know, we start to grow up and become kind of you know start to question things, and then maybe we have a possibility of uh, of waking up. You know, of, of of getting out of the sleep that we've been in, and mm -hmm. part of that whole process for me, anyhow was when I started to meet other people that were doing it. You know, it's like the first, first, first stage of the process is, you know, like you're talking about, you're, you're reading some literature, you're, oh, these some great ideas, you're finding stuff online or whatever. And that's all really intense. But then when you actually, like, start to connect with other people who are, who are also trying to escape from the prison of, of sleep and non-consciousness and, you know, and... Uh, and no will and all that stuff on the right-hand path. You know, people who are trying to get away from that, you start to encounter other people and connect with them, like in a real way, not just, you know, 
not just sharing, you know, like likes on Facebook or whatever, but you know what I'm saying? You like really yeah. connect with people in a real way, like in a personal way, and you start to gather some momentum and you start to gather some energy. You start to get like a new kind of energy for yourself, you know, something that you can, uh, that'll help you like awake and help you stay awake and help you maintain like a, a trajectory that is really, you know, your own unique path, you know, in, into your internal universe. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, and I, totally. And, and those things that happen along the way that um, did seem to be violations of, of your, your will and self and your own truth, I feel like, you know, when you understand this concept, like you, you can actually use those as things that reinforce where you get to when you do know what your truth is, like, um, uh, well, for example, uh, like, okay, so growing up, you know, and being forced to do something you didn't want to do in a way that you didn't want to do it, and um, remembering what that felt like, and then coming to a place where you're starting to understand, you know, that you, that you do have free will, and and even knowing what your will is, and remembering you know, that time that, that seemed to work against you is, it can, uh-huh. can be something that feeds into your determination, you know, to, to adhere to your own free will and to never end up in that position again. And in those moments to have a greater strength of, of disallowing it. And, um, and even like, like I see those moments as sort of like the, the sand or like, you know, the contaminant that gets into uh, an oyster and becomes a pearl, you know, like around that you start developing um, a different sense of yourself in knowing what it was, you know, to have that experience that, that gives you the strength to persevere and to um, become a, a more refined version of yourself and your refusal to ever be in that position again. Um, and, the, and I think the clarity that, that comes from, you know, the contrast and understanding that difference as well. Uh, yeah, but that all of those all of those experiences that might seem to be negative or undesirable are can actually be like fuel and and you know like sources of empowerment and and reminders to keep you like on your own track. Absolutely, <laughs> uh, yeah. No, I, I I think you're I think you're right on the money. So I I got to ask. Um, so you so you're you're a musician too, right? Yeah. So I, I think we have something in common. I think I saw a video online of you playing the theremin. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so so what's that? so I'm a, I'm a I'm an amateur thereminist myself. So I got so I got to ask you what's that all about? What are you doing with the theremin? Um I, I think I was more like attacking it. I don't, I, I don't really know if that qualifies as playing it. Um but yeah, um that was like a an art show at this kind of you know underground warehouse space here that um, had been hosted by a friend who um, might be at the event this year. I hope he is. Um, but yeah, there was another uh, female musician there that had the same exact theremin, which is kind of rare that you end up you know at a, at a small show like that with you know two two female musicians that have like the same strange instrument and um so it was her idea that we did a theremin battle because i was using i was using my theremin in one of the pieces and i I just brought it to play in one piece and um 
you know, I was using the theremin as kind of this other expression in that piece of this kind of searching point of consciousness that just sounds like a fly buzzing around in a way in this middle of nowhere, which is what the piece is about. Um, and um, yeah, so I, I actually am I'm very amateur on it myself. Like it was sort of just a sound effect, you know, I don't really know how to technically play it. And she comes, she's got these like pedals hooked up to it. She has all these other you know, like effects going on and she can like throw like sound like fireballs with them. I mean, she sounds like she's uh, like a street fighter on the theremin. And um, but then she wants to like have a theremin battle and I'm drunk enough at that point. I'm like, all right, let's have a go at it. And like, uh-huh. um, I've got no effects on mine. So all I had, I was like, but I move fast. All right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, so I really had, I was like, where it was like, you know, uh, I guess my, my, my human capacity, you know, and, and then her, you know, technological and, and also well-practiced, like she plays the theremin. She's, you know, more of like a classically trained musician. Like she knows her shit. She's like a wizard. And I'm there like a, you know, I, I think I called myself like a rogue, you know, I'm like a rogue barbarian or something. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> um, yeah, so we go at it. And, and I think I kept up all right, you know, but it was mostly just, and I, I didn't, I forgot even how to like use the thing when I was, I like had enough tequila at that point. Cause I, I generally, <laughs> I generally have to have a little bit of tequila. Like it sort of uh, triggers my alter ego in performances. I don't have to like drink a lot, but usually just taste it. Um, uh-huh. But that night, you know, I was drinking a little more, whatever. Um, I was like, <laughs> um, but yeah, so like I forgot, like when I got up there, I like forgot even how to like adjust the sound. And um, I figured it out along uh-huh. the way. I was like, oh yeah, when I get closer to this, this edge of it, like the sound goes down. And towards the end, I, I you know, had remembered how to utilize the theremin. Um, some people say I won. I think, um, <laughs> I, think I, I just maybe gave a better... Um, uh, performance <laughs> like I was a little like she had to do less like all she had to do was like flick her finger and she'd get all this you know like it, it sounds like I'm being killed with with sonic sound waves um but she had it set up like she knew what she was doing with it and then yeah I was just um going I guess um haywire on it uh, you know and, and utilizing my my background in break dancing <laughs> um, <laughs> Well, if you don't if you don't move around a lot while you're playing the theremin, then people don't know if you're doing anything. You know, you got to move around yeah. a lot. They're like, "Oh wow, that's amazing!" He's move, you know, she's moving her hands around, and it's the sound is changing. That's so amazing. But if you don't move a lot, then they're like, "Ah, oh, I don't know. Maybe it's just a sequencer or something." I mean, because people don't know what that sound is. They don't know where it's. You know, when you're playing like electronic stuff, you got all this stuff going on. People don't know where the sounds are coming from. Unless they see you moving around a lot, you know? Yeah, yeah. But but that adds to the performance, totally. So I was like, well, where I'm lacking in skill, I guess I can make up for in, in you know, performative capacity. Um, but, yeah, so it looked like I was doing a lot more, I think. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, so sometimes what kind, of ther- so. what kind of theremin is it? I have a Moog Etherwave. Yeah, yeah, the ether wave from uh, Big Briar, right? I don't know what Big Briar is. Uh-oh. What's that? Uh, uh, Big yeah, Briar like, was—it's like the company that made uh, Moog. Oh. But it's Moog, yeah. Moog the Moog ether wave. It's—I I know what you're talking about. That's like the—it's like a black box. Mine, mine is wooden. Um, I know they have yeah, like some. 
Yeah. Yeah. So like I have a, a, I guess more of like the classic model, but there are these like uh, smaller versions. I think they have a black. Yeah. Like that they're more, that are electronic Uh um, or digital. Um, And I think there's like a black version of it, but it's sort of like a, like a mini Moog is what it's called or something like that. Um, Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 What do you have? So mine's a, it's a Moog, it's a ether wave. And, and, and Big Briar was a, uh, I don't know what Big Briar, I think that's Moog's company is Big Briar, or it's a, co- it's a sub-company sub- com- sub that makes the theremins or something like that. But it's a, it's a black rectangular box. It's about um, a little over a foot long, and you screw it onto a, a mic stand, and you screw on your vertical antenna on the one side, and you screw on your, um, your um, you know, your... Uh, twisty antenna on the on the left side sticking out and that controls your your uh, volume and then the right side the, the the vertical antenna controls the the pitch and um i i tried using it um like when i was playing a lot of live shows with asmodeus x and the millennial gears um i was trying really hard to incorporate it with our music and i i, I tried it at live shows a lot and it was really problematic, as which I, I think, you know, I think you understand this, that you, uh, you know, when you first put your theremin up, you know, like doing your sound check or whatever, it's like you you gotta you gotta tune it right every time you gotta set, mm-hmm. you know, the um, the parameters of the ma- magnetic field around both of the antennae have to be set, you know, every time you turn the theremin on, and so the mm-hmm. problem is during your sound check. You know, you'd, you'd tune it and everything, get all ready to go. And then when you come back later to play, well, everything's changed. There's been these, uh, this other band has been on stage. They have all this other gear around and all of their shit, you know, all their keyboards, all that stuff is electronic stuff. That fucks up the frequencies of your theremin. And all the people come, you know, and now, the, and now the, the, you know, the house is full of all these people. And all these people there, you know, they're, uh, they're all, I mean, the human body is a conductor. So electromagnetic mm-hmm. conductor. So all these people being there, that messes up the field too. So when I actually would go on to like actually play the theremin, it'd be totally fucking out of tune from what I'd said it at before. So, I mean, you could never really get it like spot on. So then I tried, you know, I tried different things for a while. Um, there's some videos of it out there. I'll send you a video sometime. You can check it out. But yeah. I kind of like gave up on doing the live thing. And it's like to, to do the theremin live, it's like, you know, is basically you just got to have a, a wild chaos session with it. Kind of like what I saw. I think the video that I saw with you today, it's just, you know, it's yeah. a chaos ses- session. It's just like, totally. you know, just like go, go for it. You're going to like shoot like lots of electromagnetic energy out into the environment and see what happens. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, so if, if you're doing music that is more dependent on, you know, um, things being tuned perfectly, it can be highly mm-hmm. problematic and unless, you know, you're at the point where you've mastered it, which I'm not, but thankfully I do experimental music and noise. <laughs> so, right. Um, you know, like something being off-tune usually, in a way, I feel just like adds to what I'm doing. So. Right. No, it's like if you're using it, if you just use it for like sound effect, basically you're using it as sound effects on stage. Yeah. You, know, you can get a little, you know, little laser sounds and, and stuff out of it. 
and, and you know, run it through a digital delay pedal or something, and you get all kinds of like crazy, crazy stuff out of it, you know. Yeah, yeah. So like, I didn't know you could do that yet at that time. Like, I hadn't even thought to do that. Like, that's how new I like. I, I think I'd had it maybe like a couple months tops. And um, yeah, now that I know you can do that, like the possibilities are endless, and it's genius, really. So fun. That's wicked. So tell me more about your musical project. Like you have a, reg- a regular project that you do. What's what's the name of it? Yeah. Um, well, I I do stuff independently, and then I also do stuff with uh, uh, my bandmate Gary, who also goes by Suture, and um, DJ Dika, who's going to be at the event as well, DJing, and then cool. we're going to do a performance for the Darkness Audible portion. Um, okay. Cool. Yeah, and that's called Bruhentropy. For a while, we were going by Cloud 93, and then we got in a fight and broke up the band and then mm-hmm. reassimilated and, you know, under the auspices of a new name, though, you know, none of the bad juju from the first. Uh, <laughs> That's good. You know, yeah. But, um, but, yeah, so it's called Bruhentropy now, and that, that title came out of a, a song that we had made together and the title of the song was Brehentropy, but in that song, we could feel that something new was being birthed between us. And we still didn't really have a name for what we were doing. We we're kind of just going by my pseudonym because I had been booked for a couple shows. So, um, you know, we were just using my artist's name at the time. And then uh, when that happened, though, we felt, we both felt, you know, that something had. Um, We'd been born, and it was different than what we were doing, and um, it kind of like established our our new project for Hentropy, and derived from the name of the song, which at the time, you know, I was pulling lyrics from these notes that I had taken from this intensive, this Bruharia intensive I had done a a couple weeks before with Coyote the Blind, who's also speaking at Flamenoir this year, and um, he's a... Yeah, he's he's a crazy cool cat. Um, a little bit controversial in some regards, and um, you know, I very much see as as a, another um, a beacon of of the left hand path. Um, but he's a lot of things, so I wouldn't, you know, I mean, being a coyote though, he's a trickster, which is very left hand path in my opinion, or. I think, in a lot of shared opinions. Anyhow, so like a lot of the notes that I was drawing from, that I'd taken from the weekend I'd spent with him and his school uh, from the weeks before were all about Brujeria. And um, so, you know, the song was also this weird, you know, like noise situation that turned into this explosion and then just like cuts off. And then we were both feeling the energy of that. And every time we practice that song, I end up like, snotting everywhere with like tears streaming down my feet face and like you know, like, it's like I, I end up a awesome. mess after that song yeah yeah it's like a, it's, a, it's a fun beautiful mess to get into but like I really get into that one and um yeah so like there's this sort of like entropy that I don't know I was, I was feeling in that because I was also drawing the lyrics at random just kind of going through notes and jumping around through the pages that somehow constructed the song um and yeah, so it was almost like uh, this creation through its its own like falling apart in a way, or being taken apart and reassembled. Um, and yeah, so then thus was born Bruhentropy. So it was kind of a combination of both of those. And um, yeah, we're we're more experimental and noise and 
you know, it depends, power electronics and uh, deaf industrial. It kind of depends. Like, I, I don't think we, like, are necessarily going for one particular thing. It's just sort of, like, what happens when we show up. And we're both really intuitively, he's, he's a magician, and, you know, we're both um, members of the OTO out here. Um, so we have a shared practice and, you know, magic. And then we also do a lot of other stuff that is a little more off the grid. Um, so, like, he and I really get each other magically and are able to, to kind of, like, uh, attune and, and feed off of each other and, and play off of what the other is doing and kind of take it another step forward. And so we have sort of this weird relationship that when he and I had, like, ended our prior musical project and the other friends were like, I can do what he does, you know, because um, I w would have, like, a show. And it's like, well, the show must go on. Gary's out. And then, you know, other friends would step up and be like, hey, you know, I'll help out. And then I tried to, like, explain it, and no one could get it. They're like, how do you guys do anything? And I'm like, I don't know. It just happens. And so, like, <laughs> no one was <laughs> – yeah, like, no one was able to do, you know, this indescribable thing that he does. And he's not a trained musician either, classically. So somehow, like, we both make it work. Um, and yeah, I totally like lost my train of thought. <laughs> um, well, oh yeah, but like, <laughs> go ahead. Oh yeah, well we're, yeah. So we both kind of just have this like strange, intuitive, like magical um, process, and a lot of like what comes up, what we make, we'll just we we have no plan really. We show up, and then something will be relevant. He'll tell me about a dream, and then all of a sudden we end up with a sound, and then I end up with lyrics that are based off of the dream or a conversation that that dream will. Uh, evoke and um, you know I, a lot of times I bring cards and you know I'm actually divining uh, to help further with the lyrics the song or the concept and and taking from from my notes from you know um, even from Flambeau Noir from last year that's ended up in a lot of different songs that we've done together and just other other things you know that I study like astrology and then with Coyote I end up there for weekends on end and um, so I'll just start drawing things at random. It's sort of like wh whatever the first thing that comes up is and that builds on the last thing and then it takes it further. And then, yeah, we'll kind of like bounce off of each other and feed off of each other that way. And then it ends up uh, as something else. And I, I don't know, I guess you could call it music. <laughs> but we feel like, I, you know, I feel like it's art and it's a little bit of like, um, uh, in, in a way, a, a, a statement or like a, an agenda against um, predictability. Um, so we don't really follow any standard, you know, model or structure, and um, we're, we're sort of allowing other things to move and speak through and with us. So, uh, yeah, we're, we're definitely creating something. I would call it art for sure, and it's debatable whether it's music, but it is happening in sound. Um. <laughs> That's awesome. So, so now, wait, so this, this project is, is playing, just to be clear, you're playing at the, at the conference? As a part yeah, of the, yeah. As, as a part of the Dicas Dicas's DJ set, a part of his, well, his show. No, so like I mean, we're gonna have a couple DJs like Dicas and Corey from the Freeform Portland radio station out here, uh, publicly sponsored, and then Matt Priestess is also gonna be DJing throughout the event at different times. But then also for Darkness Audible, which is sort of a new invention for this year's Flambeau okay. Noir. Yeah, we're like seeing it as like a uh, like a performative and musical extension of it. So it's more of like um, an expose of art and and music, you know, from people who um, you know are on the left hand path or involved in that in some 
way or another. And we would like to make it a continuing event, like now discovering there's so many other musicians out there, you know, like you, and just learning that Michael Ford has his project as well. And it would be really cool oh, yeah. to kind of have, yeah, like a reoccurring event where a lot of these things are ex exposed and explored and expressed. Um, and, and kind of in, you know, the context of, of like a, a magical arena, like it's just like all these magical people coming together that are like, it's rare. There are a lot of good musicians and there are a lot of magicians, but like, you know, to do yeah. uh, so exclusively for those who are both, you know, like, yeah. uh, yeah, and but not just music as well, you know, because there are a lot of arts out there that I feel could also um, be, you know, have have more um, more expression. Like uh, Alkitsis Demetches, I don't know if I'm pronouncing her name right, um, but she does sabbatic dance, and she's also one part or one half of Scarlet Imprint co-founder. And I just found uh -huh. out about that. Like I didn't know about that initially either, and then that came. Um, into my awareness, I think like a month ago when I found out, I asked her immediately, I was like, do you want to dance for the event? And yeah, she's yeah. on it. And yeah, so there's just so many cool things that like, like, you know, I guess in, um, in honor of that quote earlier, you know, the so many varieties of artful expressions in which the black flame can be expressed and, and really kind of showcasing that and giving that like a, a stage and its own, you know, venue to, to have and, behold oh yeah no, it's, it's so <laughs> awesome you know um and i'm glad you mentioned you mentioned michael ford so uh his project uh psychonaut 75 um at asmodeus x we did a show together like uh, god when was that like 2004 maybe or 2003 something like that going way back man so it's like, you know, seeing that, you know, he's going to be there and, and I'm going to be there is like really exciting. It's been a long time. So it's really cool. And everyone, you know, like we said at the beginning, everyone, everyone on the left-hand path is doing music, you know? It's just like part of the, you know, it's like everyone has like some kind of mode of expression that they're, that they're working with. And that's just part of the whole package, it seems, you know? Yeah. And like, why do we not have our own festival? Like, seriously. Right. No, it's like the more, you know, I've been watching this thing develop and, and, um, the lists of, uh, you know, presenters and performers being added to it. I'm like, you know, this could be like a huge, like weekend type thing, but I mean, I, so, so how many people, um, how many people do you, are, are you expecting for it? How, I mean, how big of a deal do you think it's going to be? Well, yeah. So we wanted, we wanted to limit it initially, you know, to kind of, give it a limited capacity just so it's containable. <laughs> but um, mm -hmm. so the, the, the original um, number that Jeremy and I had come up with for tickets was 105, and that's the number of tarot cards plus the number of runes. And because um, he, like, divines and sends the tickets out that, that are from a tarot deck, and he'll mail that card to the person, and that's their ticket, which I thought was, like, a really cool implement last year. It, was, it really played in to everything. Yeah. You know, um, you know, just like really the uniqueness of the event and added to the magic and definitely was really meaningful in my experience, made a lot of sense. So the card that I got, you know, I still have in my wallet and I carry it around with me everywhere. Um, but so, yeah, like doing, doing runes and then tarot cards and, you know, like essentially mail those out to um, 
each of the attendees. And then we have the presenters and their guests on top of that. So we have a limited capacity of 150 um, that, that we're capping it at. I mean, the, the space itself will hold 299 reception style, I guess, or whatever it is, like, you know, cocktail, like when you're just standing around, but like seated. Um, we've got 150 chairs and we're, we're not extending beyond that. So um, the, the, originally the event we had, they had like a 98 capacity stand, standing and, you know, he was thinking that would be fine. We're like, oh, we can just have like 50, 60 people seated. That'll be cool. But then like the number of presenters that we started getting and their guests and bands, like it, that was like already 70%. It was like, okay, well, no one else can show up. Like we're not even done booking yet. Um, so yeah, initially we were going to have like a second night of music on Saturday as well. And we had like Night Profound and King Dude and Eye of Nicks that were, um, you know, at, at first, you know, like they'd agreed to play and then things came up. And so it turns out, you know, like a few of them had to drop off and, and King Dude is like, I might be in Sweden, not sure. So we're like, okay, we're getting rid of Saturday night, but it was going to be like a full weekend of like, you know, two, two nights of darkness audible. And then we're like, okay, we'll just condense it to Sunday night right now. And it's kind of its first, um, you know, go anyway. So maybe we should just not try to overdo it. Um, and kind of see where that goes. Um, but yeah, so at Lovecraft, um, Darkness Audible is going to be happening there. And they do have a limited capacity of 98. Unfortunately, it's a smaller, more intimate venue, but it's, it's a super cool venue. So mm -hmm. it, it kind of, um, like the other, the other place where the conference is happening, um, it, it totally works to serve the purposes. It's like unpretentious and privately owned, which is great because after talking to a lot of these hotels, like I would never want, like I don't understand like how they get away with not only charging what they do, but it's like, I mean, those places are devoid of soul. So <laughs> um, it didn't really seem to, to like add to the atmosphere that I think, you know, would really serve the purposes of the event. Um, but where... The, the conference is being held. Um, it, it, it's totally, it's great. It's great for the conference, and I, I love how that all worked out. But Lovecraft does have, like, a certain extra something just in terms of um, the, the aesthetics. I mean, if you've never been there, I don't, I don't know. Have you ever been to Portland or Lovecraft? No, I okay. never. Ah, okay. Well, I'm, I, I'm glad you're in for, I think, a very – pleasing surprise, me just assuming, you know, what you'd appreciate and what <laughs> your aesthetics are. No, I, but let's... I'm super, I'm super excited about it. You know, I'm, I'm one of those dudes. I could tell you, you know, that, that I've been everywhere, man song, you know, I could sing that song. <laughs> I've been just about everywhere. I toured everywhere in bands. And then, what? you know, I spent a couple of years, like just traveling as a traveling consultant, going everywhere. And one place I have not been is Portland. I've not been to Portland. I've not been to the state of Oregon. I've not been to the state of Washington. I think those are the only states that I have not been to, maybe a couple of others, but I'm really looking forward to it. I've been wanting to go there forever. I've got lots of friends out there, and, and I'm real excited about it. And, you know, one of the things, um, there's something to be said about putting limitations on, on something because, you know, this, and they say this is the secret of, um, of Twitter, why Twitter, you know, exploded and became huge. It's because of limitation, just like limited how many words you can use in it. And, 
And, you know, if something gets too big, it's like then it, 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 it becomes too known, then it gets on the radar of like, you know, the, 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 the forces of, 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 of bullshit, basically, you know? Um, yeah. Like there's, there's this old story about uh, that, uh, that uh, from, from like uh, Gurdjieff where he talked about the prison allegory. Like if a person is like conscious and they wake up and they realize that you basically live in a prison, prison is like the world that we all live in. And if you're a rational person, all you can hope to do is to escape. But to escape, you can't escape just by yourself because you need to make plans, you need to get tools and stuff. So you need to find a few other people who want to escape. But not everyone can escape, right? I mean, that never <laughs> happens. Right, not, not everyone escapes from prison, right? Because yeah. it, it's too big. It's too big. Mm. It'd, be too, it'd be too obvious. And the forces, the authoritarian forces would move against it and shut it down. And that's what happens with everything, with these, uh-huh. like, with uh, these underground, with these, these small movements and stuff. They're just, they're fucking awesome up to a certain point. They start to get bigger and bigger. And as soon as it gets too big, oh, no, look out. You know, someone's going to, like, it's going to make the national news. Oh, this is a bad thing. They're going to shut it down. They're going to make some new laws about how you can't do this. So, you know what I'm saying? There's something to be said. Or yeah. keep it, putting limitations on it, keeping it small. Not to mention that you know, in a- ancient Egypt, Set is like the god of limitations and, and imposing limitations and boundaries, like the boundaries of of consciousness that we have. Right? It's like in order to mm-hmm. define myself as a as a self aware, unique entity, you know, I, I I define my limitations. What is myself? What is you know? What is self versus not self, and that sort of thing. So. So there's something to be said for like yeah. keeping it keeping it small, keeping it exclusive, keeping it for you know the few. Yeah, yeah, and and by doing that, you know, you don't have to pander to the masses. It's like when anything gets too big, then um, it, it, I mean, essentially, it'll just become the mainstreamer. You know, oh, yeah. like, no, like you everything have to, else. You have to- you have to dumb it down. You have to dumb it down for him and yeah. lame it up for him, you know, and, you know, put lots of, like, you know, what, pinks and blues and reds in it, you know, so fuck that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So and by keeping it small, you can kind of allow it to keep its own virtue and not have to, you know, please a larger number of people. And it is a very specialized thing, and that's totally fine, <laughs> you know. Um, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be large to be more valuable. I think it retains... Um, its essence by, you know, staying at a, you know, a more manageable or sustainable size that can perpetuate, oh, yeah. you know, in the form that it naturally does and will instead of, like, seeing the necessity of, like, um, I don't know, like, like, even just looking for different places to host the event and, you know, different capacities. And it's like, you know, the, the, the bigger you go, it's like, okay, the more tickets you're going to have to sell then. And, um, you know, like the, the, the more people you're going to have to um, appeal to. And it's, you know, like, I don't, I don't think it's necessary. You know, it's like, okay, maybe, uh, I don't know. And, and even at 105, it's still, you know, it's, it's, it's a little bigger than we had initially envisioned of having. I mean, we, we had initially envisioned that, but we're thinking that would include all of the presenters and, and everyone involved. Um, but so it's expanded a little bit beyond that. And, and even that right now, it's like, 
I feel like it's a perfect size to have like enough people that are interested in what's going on and, and involved. And truly, you know, it's not having, um, you know, it's not being watered down in, or, you mm -hmm. know, we're not having to, to add more things in that, that are irrelevant to, to please a larger number of people or, you know, to, to sell more tickets. Like that's not the aim of it. It's really to, to allow it to distill into like it's, it's, it's true form. Um, yeah, so I, I feel it's it's more meaningful as well when it's a little more intimate. You know, it's not spread yeah. too thin. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> well, that's that's awesome. I'm so excited about this. I'm so looking forward to it. Um, we've covered a lot of ground. Is there any is there any any final things you want to put out there? Final things. Um, wow, that could be so many things though. Uh, <laughs> well, what about this? Let me let's let's uh, let's refine it then. What about this? What is the ultimate ultimate um, boon for humanity that you hope to accomplish via the Flambeau Noir Conference? Oh, um, yeah, like really establishing and setting off that beacon, sort of like birthing birthing that being here on the West Coast. Flambeau Noir and the International Left Hand Path Conference and, and consortium included, none of that's ever occurred on the West Coast. And mm -hmm. so I, I think it's really kind of um, giving, giving that its, its uh, proper form here now. It's, it's really instigating or initiating it um, in this region. And I feel even gathering and collecting a lot of those people that are sort of um, – you know, on that path and interested in those things and, and maybe feeling somewhat um, dispersed or, or isolated in that and, and allowing for um, all of those people and, and interest in things to kind of have, um, I don't know, like to, to, to feel a sense of belonging in a way and to, to create those bonds and, and to really validate that, to validate you know, that work and, and everything that we're all bringing forward and the work that we do in, in whatever, you know, um, various lineage we're, we're aligned with. It's kind of all, you know, like creating a, a collective tapestry where, where those things are being woven into this, like, collect, uh, or this shared conversation, you know, we're having on mm -hmm. the left. Yeah. So, 100%. I'm there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm totally there. In my mind, yeah. I'm already there. Yes, I know. I'm feeling it. <laughs> yeah, and and I hope uh, I hope all my listeners are going to be there. Y'all need to get it together. Go online, go to the Facebook page, and uh, get your tickets on. Get your tickets in order, and make your travel arrangements because you don't want to miss this. It's going to be a once in a lifetime deal. Yeah. Uh, Susan Cole, I want to thank you for spending the time tonight. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for all the, absolutely, and thanks for all the work that you're doing out there to, to make all this thing happen, and uh, I look forward to seeing you out there in April. Ah, thank you. Yes, likewise. All right, take care. <laughs> I will. You too. And after all of that talk about black magic and music, this episode would not be complete without hearing some music from Season. And so here is a song from her project, Zen Cole. This is 
Fuckubi, and that's P-H-U-C-C-U-B-I. Fuckubi.
Thank you for listening to another installment of Devanosophy 2.0, the only podcast exploring the congruence of liberty and the left-hand path. For more information, visit our website at www.daemonosophy.com. Follow our tweets at airbeth underscore trans or join the discussion on Facebook at the Daemonosophy Group. Until next time, keep the dark fire burning.